Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3, which we'll be talking about the latest news of the Red Sox, a big conversation about Jackie Bradley Jr. as to is he the best outfielder in Red Sox organization. And we'll continue on with the top performers uh, offensively and pitching-wise for the Red Sox and cover down most of the rules and milestones that's going to be happening for this season in 2021. Hello and welcome to the Backstop Podcast with Sean Scanlon and myself, Obi Muniz. The Red Sox top prospect, Brian Mata, has been diagnosed with a slight tear in his UCL. For those of you that don't know what a UCL is, it is a ulnar collateral ligament of the elbow. It is often injured by repeated stress from overhead movement. Ligaments are strong bands of tissues that hold the bones together and help control the movements of joints. As of now, Mata does not need Tommy John surgery. Alex Cora stated that he will shut Mata down throughout the spring training and will seek medical treatment. Mata is the top pitching prospect in the Red Sox farm system. He is overall 22 wins and 20 losses with an ERA of 3.40. He has a total of 307 strikeouts, which is so magnificent for the amount of innings pitch he has provided throughout his minor league career. He has held opponents to a batting average of 2-4-2. And it is expected that maybe, maybe, if it's not this year, that next year he will be in a starting role for the Boston Red Sox. Other pitchers that uh, come back is Eduardo Rodriguez made his first start Friday after a full year of absence with the organization. As you know, he was dealing with COVID-19, but he was looking impressive for those two innings that he pitched. Francis Cordero returned on Friday as well. He's expected to play this week to earn a starting role in the outfield. And coming soon, Alexander Bogarts will return from his shoulder injury. It was more of soreness from his workout training he did in Aruba. They didn't want to take a chance with him starting right away. So good news is, is that he's getting better every day. And we should be seeing him soon, maybe, just maybe, by the end of this week. And another prospect is the Red Sox added Gilberto Jimenez to spring training. So they're adding more depth into the 40-man roster. Good news is that we're looking good for spring training regardless of the results that's happening this week. M most people like to look at wins and losses. This is, this is kind of different because of the nature of the roster the Red Sox have. Majority of them are really utility players. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, you know, about developing these players right now, seeing who's going to, you know, make that 25-man roster. Um, and so, I, and it's about getting some of these players back to normal. Like you said, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, his first time playing in over a year. I thought he looked really good, you know, and it, it's obviously a small sample size, only a couple innings pitched, but I, I was glad to see him back out there because uh, we're going to need Eddie Aces this year uh, to get that pitching staff back to where it needs to be. You said uh, Gilberto Jimenez. Uh, we could use the, all the depth that we can get in the outfield right now, I believe. Um, obviously, with the news that you know Jackie Bradley is signed with the Brewers, I think that that's probably where we're shortest at in terms of depth on the field. I think that we, we could use all the help that we can get in the outfield. I think Verdugo is really the only star player that we know is out there, and everyone has to you know prove themselves. So... I think that's just trying to find the structure of this roster, trying to fit in guys to their spots. 
the wins and losses don't really matter in spring training. It's it's all about, you know, trying to find the the structure of this team. And also, I mean, some of the games uh, were really impressive, though. I, I liked from the offense, uh, scoring a lot of runs. Uh, I think that there was uh, the game on ESPN where they hit, you know, three homers in, in the same inning. It was just an onslaught. So I definitely like the way that the offense is looking. I think that, you know, the pitching staff is, is getting back to where it needs to be. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, excited to, you know, see the games that happen this week. Absolutely. And now that we're starting our second week, we should be seeing all the starting pitchers adding extra innings. I'm wondering how Alex Corp will manage the second week. Will they try to go for four innings pitch or... Will he be using pitch count? And we've seen it already this week that Alex Cord, I won't say forfeit, but pretty much called off an inning uh, because the pitchers were maximizing themselves. So, uh, and again, that's why I say that we don't necessarily need to focus on wins and losses. Let's look at the performance and see how they're doing. And we will definitely, you know, get to that when it comes to top performers throughout the show. Another news is from the state of Massachusetts that they are considering an increasing attendance in the stadiums as far as Fenway Park. Fenway Park will more likely have fans by opening day. The stadium holds 37,731. Approximately 4,500 can attend and may be subject to a high number depending on the COVID situation in the state. And that is great news because, you know, I, I don't like the audio sound that they provide. I think that pretty much it hurts my ears it's just you know it doesn't go in sync with the action of the game you know every time somebody does something it's like a delayed reaction you know like you don't get to that Ooh, ah, oh my god here we go you know and, and and as far as the broadcasters they're not really at the stadium they're actually broadcasting from home or from a studio so that was like kind of unique you know to, to see how they'd be able to do play by play almost similar to the Korean baseball that we saw on ESPN. Yeah. If you tune in at 5 o'clock in the morning to check out the game <laughs> in Korea, you know, we got the announcers at ESPN Studios broadcasting the game. You don't get to see the whole entire picture. But I'm really excited how the, our, our world's trying to get back together on this. You yeah. mentioned about Jackie Bradley. So Jackie Bradley Jr. landed with the Milwaukee Brewers. He signed a two-year deal. I think it's worth $24 million. Mm -hmm. Bradley will be more than likely to start along with Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain. Now, Lorenzo Cain's list is day by day. That's another outstanding outfield that the Milwaukee Brewers have. Is that better than Mookie Betts, Benettini, and Bradley together? No, absolutely not. Um, I, I think, you know, what the Brewers just put together is they have a great uh, defensive outfield. And then, uh, I mean, Christian Yelich is pretty good at the plate too, but I don't think anything will stack up to the the Killer Bees outfield, um, especially the way they were playing when when they were together. Uh, Mookie Betts, I mean, he's a, he's a top, you know, three player in the MLB right now. Jackie Bradley Jr., I think, is, you know, probably the best defensive player that I've ever watched uh, in a Red Sox uniform in my lifetime. Uh, I mean, any ball that was set out to center field, you weren't worried about uh, if it was dropping in or not. I mean, Jackie Bradley's range out there was absolutely incredible. Uh, he made some, you know, spectacular catches. And then Ben Intendi, in, you know, in the 2018 year, he, he made some, you know, huge plays too. So I don't think it, it stacks up with that, the Red Sox outfield that we had. And uh, it, it's sad to say that, you know, just, you know, three years removed from the World Series when the, all those guys are gone now. Uh, so uh, it's definitely a rebuild in that outfield. And uh, I'm definitely going to miss watching Jackie Bradley Jr. out there because uh, he was a spectacular center fielder. And um, he, he's definitely going to be missed. I always had a little distaste about Bradley. 
I'm I'm an offensive offensive type of guy. Okay, I look like like guys like George Springer who could defend, and he's a batter. Jackie Bradley is averaging two thirty nine in his career. So when you need him the most to swing that bat, he doesn't provide. And luckily, we had a supporting cast. That lineup was built and designed for a player like Bradley to okay, you're not that good swinging the bat. You sure one hell of a defensive player that you could rob people's home runs. When it comes to the best defender, it's debatable. Uh, this this week we on the Boston Globe that was the biggest debate as to where is Bradley Jr. ranked as the best Red Sox defensive outfielder of all time, and two names popped up, and those names were Jackie Bradley himself and Fred Lynn. What's so unique about this is that um. Fred Lynn was an advocate of Bradley since 2012 when he was with the double-A team. So, and, and that's kind of mm-hmm. awesome because they have a different vision of playing the game. And, and, and in sports, they always say that yeah. the best defense wins championships, right? So, But in baseball, if you don't have the best pitchers, especially in the bullpen, you're not going to get anywhere, right? It's so unique about Bradley. And you said, yeah, it's, as of now, I think he is one of the best defensive player i won't say that he's the best defensive player if you look at it this way he hasn't been recognized as the best defensive player in the organization okay he's only one he only is what a one all-star named an all-star once and he's mm-hmm. a gold glove winner one time okay that, yeah i think that's pretty absurd though that he's only won the gold glove once in his career right you, you would say that but then let's look at the rest of the competition out there why Why was everybody else such greater than Bradley? It, it, it's hard. I mean, it's not like I, I watch every single game to see what everybody else is doing. But, you know, yeah, Bradley is one of those unique guys. But then you also have guys like Mookie Betts and Benettini. They deserve a gold glove as well. But Fred Lynn was an MVP, a nine-time All-Star, four-time gold glove winner in his first 10 seasons. Lynn played seven seasons with the Red Sox. And then, of course, he bounced to different teams. But Bradley may have been an awesome defensive player, but his bat did not excel. That's why a lot of people don't talk about Bradley. If his average was at least 270 and above, then people will be talking, oh, man, Bradley's probably one of the best players to play in the outfield. But because he doesn't swing the bat well, that's his his biggest downfall. Yeah, he came clutch in the World Series. He got a couple of home runs. I just say he just got lucky. You know, you don't depend on that when you're averaging 239. Yeah, I, I well, yeah, I think, you know, his run in the ALCS, he, he won the ALCS MVP. Um, Obviously, he had a, hu- a huge couple hits against the Astros in that series, you know, including a grand slam uh, in the eighth inning against, you know, Roberto Azuna, one of the best relievers in baseball. So uh, definitely in that series, in that postseason run, he had a bunch of clutch hits. It's just he, he didn't do it on a consistent basis. So, you know, that will be always be the knock against Jackie Bradley is that, you know, he was like, like we've been saying, he's tremendous in the field, but his bat just was never consistent. Um, so obviously it's, it's a little bit of lopsided, uh, you know, his performance on, you know, both sides of the field. Obviously he didn't have a great bat, but I don't think his defensive you know, prowess should be overshadowed by that because he he really was uh, the best that I've ever seen out there. Um, obviously, I'm not old enough to have seen Fred Lynn, but uh, I mean, other than you know, Mookie Betts was obviously great too. And then you know, the other only other name that comes to mind is maybe Jacoby Ellsbury. But 
I, I would put Jackie right at the top of the list. Um, I, you know, I think that he commanded that center field like no one I've ever seen. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely wish the the bat was better because if it was, then he would definitely have a couple more All Stars uh, to his resume. But uh, still, nonetheless, he, he's a great player, and uh, you know the Red Sox are definitely going to miss him uh, in the outfield. I mean, he had a lot of highlights. Uh, uh, you you mm-hmm. could build a highlight reel on Jackie Bradley of all the defensive catches and dives. Uh, what is it? Dives over the walls and all that stuff. So, yeah. but other names come into mind that's quite similar to Jackie Bradley, and that's Ellis Burks. You mentioned Jacoby Ellsbury, Johnny Damon, and Coco Crisp. Those guys were Coco. quick. You know, they you could depend on them to take a greater amount of outfield to cover. Uh, but the best trio that I have to say is Benetton, Bradley, and Mookie Betts. And I say second best will be, I'm going to go day back to 1986, Tony Armas, Dwight Evans, and Mike Greenwell. Those three guys were awesome. And Mike Greenwell, in my opinion, is the best left fielder at Fenway Park. Now, it could be debatable if they say it was Jim Rice, but Mike Greenwell knew how to study the ball where it hit the wall. And mm-hmm. by the time either he catch it with his bare hand or get that one bounce, he was able to quickly throw the ball and avoid their opponents for getting a double. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about that. I was like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. I haven't seen anyone quite like him. I can't say Manny Ramirez because he had some bloopers, you know, yeah. but when he did play the position right, he had a gun. And I think his gun was a lot stronger than Mike Greenwell. But accuracy all the time, Mike Greenwell was the man in left field. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, the left field at Fenway is very tough to play, obviously, with the, the big monster behind you. It's tough to, you know, read the ball off the wall. And also right field, I think, you know, center field is probably the easiest to play uh, at Fenway Park but on, on both sides of the corner, left and right field. Just the way that, you know, Fenway Park is built, it's it's definitely a tough place to play the outfield. So that's that's why I'm kind of worried about the depth this year. I, I hope that the guys can, you know, adjust to uh, the way that Fenway Park is built. Uh, obviously, I have faith in Verdugo, but we're going to have to see who, who uh, fills out those other two spots uh, in the outfield. And more about Jackie Bradley, him signing a two-year deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. He was seeking for a long extended period of time. However, you got to go back to his bat. You're in the National League also. So you have a pitcher that Probably doesn't bat well. You know, you don't get those good good type of pitchers. And having Bradley in that lineup is almost similar to having a pitcher batting. You know, you could be de- good <laughs> defense. I'm sorry, but now you're in the National League. You're not going to get that extended contract unless you elevate your batting average. Now, in his defense, being that it was a short season, 60 games, uh, his average went up to, I, I believe, 268. Congratulations. But. You still prove to me in a full season, 162-game season, that your average cannot increase over 240, and that is the biggest problem. Is mm-hmm. it, is it, is it a big change, a difference in baseball that I'm seeing? Because any other league, any other teams, and I'm sorry to say, but compared to the New York Yankees, their, their lineup is dangerous all the way around. There's no one dependable that you know, oh, he's going to strike out. Unless you're in the playoffs, and then all your power hitters are guaranteed going to strike out a lot. But in the regular season, you just – it's dangerous. And that's why they keep winning those 100, 100 win seasons. That's something mm-hmm. that the wrestlers need to look at. And if these are the guys that you're going to develop to get that way, fine. But uh, as far as Jackie Bradley's concerned, I kind of like to see him go. I did. 
I was like, yo, get ready to trade him because we need swingers. We need batters. Anybody could play defense. Not as great as Bradley, but when it comes to scoring runs, because we need runs to win the game. We need pitchers to be able to pitch the game through five, six innings, not three or four innings to protect the bullpen. That's how we win games. That's how we get to win championships. But besides that, other players um, that I would like to mention, and this week with the Red Sox, are the top performers. And the top performers uh, that I like, and I start off with Jaron Duran. He is batting a 455, two home runs, three RBIs. He has a total of 13 bases. Okay, he is from Buena Park, California, which is no, located near Anaheim. He's a rookie, and he's making a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what he's been doing. Um, obviously, we've been you know talking about the outfield a lot, but I, I think that he has a chance to you know fill in one of those roles this season. I'm not sure if he'll be on the 25 man roster uh, right away, but I definitely see him being moved up at, at some point uh, to the roster this year because. Uh, he's extremely versatile. Uh, he's a great defender out there. He's probably one of the better athletes on the team. And then what he's been doing with his bat, I, I think, has been amazing. And it, it's been the biggest part. Um, obviously, you mentioned the two home runs. He, he's got the power, and he could hit for contact. Um, so I, I, I like what Jaron Duran brings a lot. He's one of the top prospects uh, in our organization right now. And I, I definitely think it's a bright future ahead for him. Um, and, and we could definitely use that help in the outfield. Right. Another player is a third base, Bobby Dahlbeck. He's batting a 400, three home runs, four RBIs. He has the same 13 total bases. Out of the 10 at-bats that he's had, he struck out five times. Again, that's a concern for me right there. It was like, dude, you're one out of two. That's the ratio. You're going to give me a hit or you're going to strike out. And then what happens when you're slump? You're going to strike out 10 straight times? I mean, what's the deal? And, and, And that's my biggest worry about this lineup is not just only him, but everyone else that they're projected to have over 100 strikeouts in the season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Dahlbeck is very similar to Chavis. Uh, they're both, you know, big power guys, but they also strike out a lot. Um, so hopefully, you know, he could he could start to, like you say, minimize that a little bit. Um, I, I don't think, you know, we haven't seen great improvements from Chavis uh, after his, his great rookie season. Uh, but I think Dahlbeck has a chance to turn it around. Obviously, he's a great power hitter. Uh, we saw at the end of last year when he got called up, he – he was on a you know six-game streak of home runs, so he's definitely got the power to bring to the lineup. But like you said, he can't be striking out um, you know one out of every two times that he's up to the plate. I mean that just can't happen. We got like you said, we got to start scoring runs. We got to get uh, players on base. So I, I like his power a lot. Um, he's got a, he's pretty good in the field too, but he's definitely got to uh, get those strikeouts down. I agree. Second baseman Enrique Hernandez. Uh, he's coming from the Dodgers in that trade. He is four for six, and he's walked four times. This guy he got eyes on that ball, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for him to be the starting second baseman at the start of the season. And yeah, excuse me, third baseman Yairo Munoz. He's batting a 455 with a home run and four RBIs. He's coming from the St. Louis Cardinals. He is also hot this week. I, I love everything that uh, these top four players is doing so far. I hope they continue the success here. Other players to mention is shortstop Jonathan Arauz. He's from Panama. He's a switch hitter, you know, mm-hmm. I, and uh, that's that's pretty cool to be diverse in the plate. And J.D. Martinez, he he's looking to get things rolling. Uh, not a good start, but towards the end of the week, he started swinging well. 
and uh, Puello. He is also he's from Dominican Republic. He's doing good. But focusing on the starting pitching, and again, we only seen the starters for just two innings at most. And I'm hoping that we could get to see more pitching or more innings and stuff like that. The four I want to mention to you is uh, Stefan Gonzalez, who came from the Mets. Uh, relief pitcher Kevin McCarthy from the Royals. We have uh, right-hander pitcher uh, Politi. He is a rookie from New Jersey. And starting pitcher Thad Ward, he's a rookie from Fort Myers, Florida. Those four guys, man, they don't show any any nervousness. They don't, don't they don't show like they they're, they're relaxed. It's almost like they found their home with the Red Sox organization. Yeah, and that's great to see because uh, I mean, after last year, we could use all the pitching that we can get. Um, that was really the the detriment to last year's team is that the pitching was terrible. You know. Not just the starters. They would, I mean, the starters would only pitch a couple innings, and then on top of that, our relievers were not great at all. So I think that you know, build as much depth as we can in the bullpen uh, and into that starting lineup because uh, we're definitely going to need the pitching this year. But uh, like you said, these these guys look poised and confident. Um, and it, obviously, it's it's still only spring training, but it, it's definitely a good sign, you know. Uh, as we are now a week into spring training, getting closer and closer to the season, uh, I think that it's important to you know have these pitchers in a good groove. So I definitely like what I'm seeing from them, and uh, I hope it could continue uh, into April. I believe that the starting pitching will improve, and I think that the rules of baseball are changing this year, and it's going to benefit not only the rest size pitcher, but I think the, all throughout the league because the league has been experiencing a lot of injuries. There's a lot going on that disrupts the team's flow of reaching their goals. But one of those rules has been changing is the doubleheader. Uh, the seven inning doubleheaders will be back in the regular season. Uh, so, so our expedited extra inning games, a runner will once again be placed on second base for each team from a 10 inning on. The three batter minimum rule for relievers is also back. But the league hasn't taken any actions toward banning or limiting the shift. With that, one double header, seven innings. I think that's great for business. Look, can the players with you know withstand two nine inning? It, it's just not feasible, especially when you have a twenty five man roster. Then you you expect them to play a double header one day, and then depending on when that game finishes, you gotta get ready for the next game on the next day. So that that is kind of rough. And then I'm a big fan of extra innings with the player going to second base. And the reason mm -hmm. why, I've seen it forehand in the minor league system here in the local town here, the Hartford Yardgoats, who are the uh, fran AA franchise from the Colorado Rockies. That It works perfect, and it helps speed up the game instead of getting those 20, 21 innings. I mean, what's the point of playing when you're starting at 7 o'clock Eastern time or 7.30 whatever local time that is, and then you're there at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then, like, some of us got to go work the next day, you know? Yeah. Or now we got to travel back home and it's already late. I'm tired. Why would you do that to the fans? And if we're tired, imagine the players, which they got to go wake up and then get ready for the next game. They won't be able to be swinging the bats like they did the previously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. Um, obviously, you know, if it's a, a late game like you were saying, like a 15, 16 inning, you know, they're not the players aren't getting out of there, especially with the media that they have to do after the game. They're probably not leaving the stadium till you know one, two, maybe even three o'clock. And then you you bring into the fact that you know they they probably have a game the next day, especially if it's an early on game. I mean, these guys got to get their sleep, they got to get their rest. They're professional athletes, and especially after a long grueling game like that. 
Um, I think that, you know, it's important to get your rest for the next day. So I, I think it's definitely a good rule. I think it speeds up the game. And obviously baseball has that knock on that, you know, they, they need to speed up the game. It's a little slow for the viewers. So I think this brings an extra incentive uh, into the game that it's going to be more fun to watch. Uh, I, I enjoyed it last year when they brought it into the game. Uh, and I feel like the Red Sox have been in a, a lot of extra inning games over the past couple of years. So staying up those late nights, uh, I'm glad that uh, we can put an end to that. Uh, and I like the rule that they implemented last year. So I, I like that uh, they're going to continue it this year. I remember uh, September of 2019. Uh, I forgot what day it was, but I was there at Fenway Park, uh, Red Sox versus the San Francisco Giants. And uh, – I think it went to 15 or 16 innings. I'm not sure. However, the clock struck at three in the morning. <laughs> That's when the game finished. And yeah. I had a drive back. I think uh, by the time I got home around 4.45 or something, I had to be at work at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. That was a, that was a lot rough. of Dunkin' Donuts coffee all day just to, oh, yeah. just to get through it. And then later later on that day after I finished working, I crashed out for the next day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to load the espresso after that one. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I remember the game you're talking about, though, because I was watching it, too, and I, I think I fell asleep around, like, 2 a.m. Uh, yeah, that, and then, uh, I mean, the other game that comes to mind is uh, in the World Series in 2018 against the Dodgers. I, I think it went 16 or 17 innings, but um, and, and that's the only game we lost in that series. But I remember staying up to, like, 3.30 a.m. and just thinking – gosh, can we get this game over with? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I wasn't even that mad that the Red Sox lost because I was like, I, I just wanted to go to bed. But I, I think that, <laughs> yeah, I think this rule definitely helps out with that, though. Uh, another question was, what about the DH in the National League and expanded playoff? Okay. As of now, I don't think it'll happen in 2021. It may, it may happen in 2022. I don't know. But I believe that every, every team should have a designated hitter. I mean, if you're protecting the pitcher, and stuff like that, and at the same time, you know, they do get wins and losses. Why are you going to put the pitcher in jeopardy of getting injured by a wild pitch? Yeah. Or he's swinging a bat, twists his ankle. You're investing in that pitcher to pitch and win games for you. Yeah, I, I think there should be DHs in both leagues. Uh, obviously, being a fan of American League team, that, that's, that's all I'm used to is watching, you know, designated hitters. And I know that most of the traditionalist National League uh, fans are saying, no, I want the pitchers hitting, but it just makes the game more boring. I mean, those guys, you know, it's a miracle when they get a hit or, you know, an extra base hit, something like that. You're like, wow, I, I was not expecting that. So, I, I mean, it's just boring. I, and I think that, you know, to get designated hitters in the National League will be huge because um, it, it just it adds to your offense. And then, like you said, for the pitchers, I, these guys want to rest. I, I, I think they don't want to go out there. Um, especially on a day where they're starting. I don't think they want to go out there and, you know, just get struck out in, in three pitches like they usually do. Um, so it, it definitely, I think it would be more entertaining for National League games. Uh, and I know National League fans, uh, especially, you know, the older crowd, they, they don't really like that. But I, I think it's time to bring it in. Uh, it's just too boring watching these pitchers hit every year. I think that the DH should definitely be in both leagues. And I, I think that they're they're getting towards that point. So I, I definitely, hopefully in the next couple of years, they, they implement uh, DHs in the National League, though. Oh, hmm. But hey, let's move on to the milestone moments that will be prepared for this year. Tony La Russa, uh is now the manager of the White Sox. He has 2,728 victories as a manager. He needs 45 wins to match John McGraw for second place of all time. 
Uh, for the record, no one will ever approach Connie Mack's record of 3,731 wins. That's a lot of wins, man. <laughs> yeah. Dusty Baker is another manager. He's with the Houston Astros. Needs four wins to tie Hall of Famer Bill McKinney for 14th in career victories. Miguel Cabrera from the Detroit Tigers needs 134 hits to reach 3,000 in his career and 13 home runs to reach 500. I think he could do that. Yeah, so do I. I mean, he's fallen off a little bit in the past couple years just because of age and obviously, you know, he was at the top of his game for so long. But uh, he, I mean, he still got, he still has that power. Um, so I think it's definitely possible for him to hit 13 homers, um, especially now that the season's going to be back to you know 162 games. Uh, I think he's definitely got a good chance to hit uh, 500 and 134 hits. Uh, I mean, that might be tough to reach for him. But um, I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Miguel. Uh, he's he's obviously one of the greats of all time. So uh, if if he can have a bounce back season, uh, he he could definitely reach that uh that that mark. Joey Votto from the Cincinnati Reds needs 92 hits to reach 2,000 and five home runs to get 300. Also, with 3,236 career hits, Albert Pujols from the Anaheim Angels is seven hits from matching Nap LaJoy's total. He is 19 removed from tying Eddie Murray. Andrew McCutcheon from the Philadelphia Phillies needs 26 runs to reach 1,000. Max Scherzer from the Nationals is 216 strikeouts away from 3,000. David yeah. Price, who is a former Red Sox, uh, currently with the Dodgers, needs 19 strikeouts to get 2,000. And John Lester, another former Red Sox pitcher, he is uh, playing his first year with the Nationals, is seven wins away from 200. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Lester would definitely get there. Um, and the Nationals, I mean, that, that pitching staff, him, Scherzer, and, and uh, Patrick Corbin, they're they're going to be pretty dynamic, I think. And I, I wish all the best for Lester, uh, especially on the, the new team. So hope it goes out well, and I, I think he'll definitely reach those seven wins. Yeah, and of course, our milestone, a lot of people are predicting that the Red Sox may finish with 78 wins. But Adam Cora, two seasons, uh, hasn't reached less than 80 wins. And I'm hoping that he continues his streak with 80 wins or more with the roster that we're having. Okay. But between him and Chain Bloom, I think they're doing very well this year. And I have confidence that at least we may have 85 wins this season. What do you, what do you think? I agree. I, I think we're definitely going to be uh, right over that 500 mark. I, I think that we're going to be in the, the wild card mix. I think probably with the, the Blue Jays and the Rays, I think the Yankees might be at the top, unfortunately. But um, I, I think people are sleeping on the Red Sox, though. I think I, I like the moves that they made this offseason. Uh, a lot of utility players that could play all over the field. Um, and then obviously, you know, getting their starting pitchers back. So I believe in Alex Cora and Heim Bloom and, and what they're doing. And uh, I think this is a start of another good run with the Red Sox. I think it, it might be a little slow at first, you know, getting all these players back. But um, I, I think, you know, by the end of the season, we're going to be in, in groove. And hopefully uh, we're in the playoffs this year because I, I can't watch another year like last year. But I, I definitely think that we're going to be over 80 wins. This show is presented by Clovercrest Media, the CMG Sports Network. Visit clovercrestmedia.com for the variety of your favorite podcasts. Tune in each week as we get set for our journey of the 2021 Red Sox baseball. With Sean Scanlon, I am Ovi Muniz. This is Ovi's Backstop Podcast.